The headlines tonight. Beyonce surprises with Baileyful album. Burnside burned at Fredericksburg fiasco. And Croats croak and thank you very much. Plus, coming up, we ask whether the United Nations should send peacekeeping Corgis to the conflict in Downton Abbey. Those are the headlines. Slap me in the facts. News bang, fueling the fires of enlightenment with an inferno of truth. Ah, it's 2015, Music sensation. Beyonce has released an album without so much as a peep. The self-titled surprise, Beyonce, has sent shockwaves through the industry, selling an unprecedented 2.3 million copies despite being unannounced and virtually invisible. Released in December 2013, the visual album is rife with feminist undertones and a stealthy release strategy that has left even the most seasoned insiders baffled. With 14 songs and 17 videos, it's like she's trying to say, I can do what I want. Fans have been seen running to stores to purchase the record only to find it's not there because there are no physical copies. The visual album, a groundbreaking feat of feminist empowerment and strategic marketing genius, has sent the music industry into a tailspin. One distraught fan, Shakira Tapao, lamented, How am I supposed to collect something that doesn't exist? Meanwhile, the music industry is reeling from this unorthodox approach, which has sent them scurrying like cockroaches from the light of innovation. Another fan added, I fainted like I'd seen her husband's latest mistress bill. 1862. On this day in 1862, the American Civil War raged on, with the Union Army, led by General Ambrose Burnside, who later became governor of Rhode Island three times. They were up against the Confederate States Army fighting for slavery and Southern independence. The Battle of Fredericksburg was a bloodbath, with Union forces taking heavy casualties. President Lincoln called it a butchery, as bodies piled high like biscuits at a church fete. Union casualties were so high that at one point, General Burnside considered drafting corpses into service. The Confederates, led by General Robert E. Lee, successfully defended their right to treat human beings like chess pieces until 1865, when they realized checkmate was inevitable. Uh, 1991. 1991. And it's war in Croatia, as the Croats and Serbs have a little ding-dong over Yugoslavia. The Croatian army, fed up with being pushed around, decides to teach the Serbs a lesson. They launch Operation Whirlwind, which, according to military experts, is not the best name for an offensive. Bam! The Serbs counterattack, and the Croats are in a pickle. Faced with capture, they decide to destroy their tanks rather than let them fall into enemy hands. We blew them up, said General Ivan Chavich. It was better that way. Amidst the carnage, one tank commander managed to escape on foot. I just kept running, said Private Boris Krotovich. I didn't stop till I reached the border. But it was a Pyrrhic victory for the Serbs, as they now had no tanks either. So in effect, everyone lost. And with tensions still high, it looks like this Balkan standoff could rumble on for years. News bang, an antidote to the contagion of falsehood. Shakanaka Giles takes us on a delightful weather journey across the UK. 
detailing the unique atmospheric conditions that have descended upon our shores this Christmas. For today, the 13th of December, a weather report with a seasonal twist. To start, our southeast is experiencing a lovely Christmas-themed drizzle, like a light shower of tinsel or fairy lights. The Midlands and the north of England are feeling frosty, cold enough to freeze a snowman's tears, a bit like the North Pole, but without the elves. Wrap up warm and don't forget those carrots. Scotland is in for a heavy, festive snowstorm, the kind that will leave footprints as white as freshly fallen snow. Oh, the delight! In conclusion, a Christmas-themed drizzle, frosty, frozen tears and a snowy snowstorm. Merry Christmas, and that's all the weather. Uh. 1991. The Croatian War of Independence, a conflict stretching from 1991 to 1995, pitted the Croat and Yugoslav People's Army against one another. Operation Whirlwind, a significant battle in the war, saw Croatian forces attempt an offensive that ultimately ended in failure, leaving their tanks decimated due to damage and possible capture. Joining us now with more is our reporter Brian Bastable. A war-torn field stretches out before me. Smoke rises in black pillars. The stench of burning diesel permeates the air. Squinting against the dust that scours my corneas, I can see a Croatian T-55 tank. I'm Brian Bastable on the ground, in the thick of it. There's the sound of rending metal from behind. Another tank has rammed into the back. The screams of the wounded fill the air. But now things are about to take an interesting turn. In the distance, we can see something moving. It's a man, and he's on fire. As he approaches, we can see the flames are not just consuming him, but seeming to emanate from his very being. He's got a rocket launcher slung over his shoulder. I'm on the move, jumping up on the tank like a pogo stick, my armour-piercing camera rolling. I've always wanted to say that. And then we're there, the explosion of sound is immense, we've just watched a tank get blown to smithereens. Now we're standing in the rubble of a village that moments ago was still standing. It's hard to breathe, the ground shudders from explosions all around us. It's the most horrifying of scenarios. An aerial bombardment with no end in sight. And yet somehow people find a way to survive. We watch as a family emerges from the ruins of their home. They're all alive. A miracle, a testament to the resilience of the human spirit. But this place isn't just a field of blood and gore. There are moments of levity, of humor even. A group of soldiers stand and watch as a cat emerges from a destroyed building. They all take turns waving and shouting at it. This place is madness, absolute madness, but these brave soldiers and the people that live here somehow find a way to make sense of it all. 
As we go to air, I have to ask, how much can one man take? The answer, it seems, is never enough, for this is my war, and it's not going to end, not any time soon anyway. Brian Bastable, Newsbang, from the Croatian War of Independence. 2011. A man in Liege, Belgium, tragically opened fire and threw grenades in a crowded area, causing six deaths and over 120 injuries before taking his own life. The shocking incident took place in 2011 as reported by Ken Shit from the scene at that time. Good evening, degenerates. As we delve into the dark depths of 2011, let's not forget the year that brought us riots, revolutions, and one motherfucking lunatic in Liège, Belgium. This cockwomble threw grenades and fired a bloody rifle at innocent crowds like it was a snazzy video game. And do you know how many people he killed? Six. And how many he injured? Over 120. This sick bastard didn't give a flying fuck about human life. He just wanted to spread chaos and fear. After he finished his little rampage, this psycho decided to end it all by blowing his own brains out. What a cowardly way to go. But hey, at least he won't be around to terrorize anyone else anymore. This senseless act of violence left families devastated and communities scarred for life. It's a stark reminder that evil exists in this world and it can strike at any moment without warning. So let's never forget the victims of this horrific attack and vow to stand united against such senseless acts of violence. We may be powerless against these twisted individuals, but together we can make a difference. This is Ken Shit, reminding you that no matter how dark things get, there will always be light shining through. 1981. In 1981, Poland faced turmoil when Prime Minister Wojciech Jaruzelski instituted martial law. A military leader maneuvering as the unofficial head of a nation, he enforced these measures to quell political opposition, including the significant Solidarity Movement. Instead of fostering democracy, Poland's trajectory under his rule remained uncertain up to 1989. Reporting updates on this tumultuous epoch in Polish history is Hardeman Pesto. Good evening, Martin. From a time before the internet and journalists were more trusted, before the world was polarized by social media, it's our honor to speak to the man at the forefront of one of the defining moments of his country's history, General Wojciech Jaruzelski. It's more than an honor, Pesto, to speak to someone who was willing to trample on his own people's democratic rights. We're going to start with the Solidarity Movement. General Jaruzelski, you declared martial law in order to crush the Solidarity Movement, yet two years later, the Union was still operating openly on the streets of Poland. What do you have to say for yourself? He was simply trying to maintain order and stability in his country. Order and stability for who, Pesto? What do you have to say to the families of the thousands of Polish workers who were killed or imprisoned during the crackdown? Well, we regret the loss of life and the suffering that has occurred. We had no choice but to take action to preserve the stability of the state. And what about the right to free association? Was that not also being violated? We had to take measures to ensure that the country's stability was not compromised. Economic reforms that were paid for with the blood of those who dared to dream of a better future for Poland. We had to make difficult decisions in order to protect the Polish people from the dangers of political unrest. And yet, the Solidarity Movement continued to grow, and soon after, the government was forced to negotiate with the Union. So in the end, your declaration of martial law 
and the crackdown on the solidarity movement were all for naught? Well, we did what we felt was necessary at the time to preserve the stability of the state. Let's move on to our next topic, Martin. It's been a pleasure, General. A pleasure to be on the wrong side of history. There's so much more to cover. There's so much more to uncover, Pesto. Well, we'll have to agree to disagree, Martin. As always. News Bang. Putting the fun in fundamental truths. Sandy O'Shaughnessy now brings us a historical journey, recounting the early years of Dartmouth College and Hanover's transformation. Tune in as he envelopes listeners in the unique charm of this New Hampshire town. Ah, and a hearty hello to all you lovely radio rascals out there, and a very good evening to the good folks at Newsbang. It's that time again when your favourite Irish jester takes you on a whimsical journey through history. So grab your pipes and pull up a chair, as I regale you with yarns that are almost as old as the hills themselves. Ah. <laughs> now let's jump back to a time when horses pulled carriages, wigs were all the rage, and Dartmouth College was just getting its groove on. Yes, dear listeners, that magical year of 1769, a time when this grand institution initially strove to educate Native Americans, how noble. And while Congregationalist ministers might seem an odd choice for its later focus, Dartmouth continued to make waves in the realm of higher education. Who knew? Huh? <laughs> Fast forward to now, almost two and a half centuries later, Dartmouth still thrives as an Ivy League powerhouse. But it's not just about academic excellence. Hanover itself is something of a treasure trove. Home not only to Dartmouth, but also to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Cold Region's Research and Engineering Laboratory. Now there's a mouthful. And Hanover High School, this town truly has it all. And let's not forget about the Appalachian Trail, which just happens to run right through its majestic hills. Talk about location, location, location. Ah. Yes, <laughs> So, next time you find yourself wandering along New Hampshire's picturesque trails or navigating the hallowed halls of Dartmouth College, provided you have an invitation, remember that it all began way back when, in 1769. Huh? <laughs> As always, keep those letters coming. The more quirky and curious they are, the better I like them. Until we meet again in this cozy corner of the radio waves, remember, Life is but a tapestry of stories waiting to be savoured. From me, Sandy O'Shaughnessy. Farewell for now, but not for long. Beyoncé's monumental album release in 2013 has gone down in history as one of the most successful unveilings ever with the visual album selling a staggering 2.3 million copies just months after its launch. The unexpected drop without any prior promotion sent shockwaves throughout the music landscape. It also showcased Beyoncé's undeniable talent and her unique approach to creativity. For insights on this groundbreaking album, we're now joined by our entertainment correspondent, Smithsonian Moss. Now, at this point of the evening, we welcome listeners on FM who've just joined us. Wowza. Wow, wow, wow. 
we just rolled back our floppy disks and time-warped to December 13, 2013. And, ladies and gentlemen, girl, it's going down. It's the day that a real-life superhero dropped an album so sick, so fat, so groundbreaking that it gave the industry a glorious, vibrant case of the vapors. The Queen Bee herself, honey, that's right, Beyoncé, decided to drop her magnum opus, Beyoncé, like a glitter bomb into the unsuspecting hearts of her fans, those lucky bastards who call themselves the Bayhive. This drop was like being T-boned by Destiny's Child and Michelle Obama's thighs on a warm summer's night. First things first, this album is visual. Like, you can't just listen to it. You've got to see it, touch it, taste it, hear it. It's not just a collection of fire tracks. Yes, it has those. But it's an experience. I don't know why, but I can just imagine Kanye trying to recreate it in a museum, only to end up eating his words in front of the entire world on Twitter. Secondly, it's about the feminist themes, y'all. If you haven't seen the 711 video yet, please do yourself a favor. Pop your eyes out of that potato they're buried in and witness feminist brilliance. We're talking girl power, sisterhood, sass, and even a nod to some other important human rights. No, this ain't another Madonna wankfest. It's the feminist revolution, y'all. Now, the part that has music execs quaking in their designer heels, she didn't even promote it. This is like Britney shambling out of rehab and straight to the top of the billboard, honey. It's groundbreaking. It's revolutionary. It's Beyonce. So there you have it, people. Your dose of history wrapped in glitter and attitude. So buckle up and hold on tight, because nothing's going to stop this Beyonce train. And as Smithsonian Moss would say, yes, we got it and we are living. Ladies and gents, that's a wrap. A news bang, rustling through the halls of boredom with the spice of reality. Good evening, and welcome to Newsbang's final roundup of tomorrow's front pages. The Times. Civil war erupts over Bean Station attack. They have a photo of a disgruntled-looking legume. The Guardian. Longstreet versus Shackelford. The battle for Granger County. There's a map there of some hills. The Sun. Burnside relieved as Sherman comes to the rescue. I see they've used a pun on that one. The Daily Mail, Yugoslav ambush KLA weapons convoy, and they have a picture of an ambulance with a machine gun on top. The Onion, NASA sends Mariner 2 to Venus for cigarettes, fails again. A cartoon there shows Venus smoking a fag in bed. And finally, the Beano, daring Beano mission foiled by long toilet queue, with a picture of General Longstreet stuck in a loo line. That's it from me, Martin Bang, and Newsbang. Join us tomorrow when we'll be looking at another day in history without any repeats whatsoever. Toodle pip. Tune in next time for more artificially intelligent hilarity. Newsbang is a comedy show written and recorded by AI. All voices impersonated. Nothing here is real. Good night. <laughs>